Katie Kempner, and welcome to Perspectives, which is a series of inspiring conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited for this conversation today with my friend, Jessica Lewis. Jessica, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I am, have always been a big fan of yours and to have this conversation today means the world. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I can't wait to uh, to get into talking about what you're up to. But before we do that, just for the fun of it, I think <laughs> that you are a Broadway fanatic and you have been since you were a child. <laughs> Tell us about it. Is this funny to you? No. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I was a dancer growing up. I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but I was a dancer um, through college. I danced at UCLA. So performing arts has always been such an important part of my life. And when I was a kid and I went to like one of those local semi-pro, somewhere in between professional and local performances of Oliver, I was so deeply moved. I felt that I was experiencing a depth of emotion that I knew inside myself, but didn't know that other people felt. And so I've just been obsessed ever since. I believe that musical theater is one of the most viscerally moving art forms. I love how it brings community together. I have saw Dear Van Hansen three times in New York, and I don't live in New York. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, I actually have a musical theater project that I uh, am working on. So maybe next time I come chat with you. We'll talk about that. But um, I, I really believe in its power. And I believe, um, and I also just love it. It's just so fun. It's so fun. So let's jump in. I love it too, by the way. When I you was in, my grandparents took my sister and I, they lived in Manhattan and we live right outside of it. We we probably saw a Broadway show every month. So it was really, it was really pretty remarkable. Um, so fun. So You've had a really interesting career working at 72 and Sunny, where you and I first met at Crispin Porter and Bogusky in their heyday, um, among others. Can you please share a little bit about your path and how where you got to where you are today up until your new company, which I'd like to talk about on its own? Yeah, for sure. You know, I feel like I got really lucky. Um, and I laugh as I say that because. Isn't it true that I think I've read somewhere that as women, we think we got lucky and men tend to think that they like did things of their own effort. Um, but I feel like I got really lucky in the sense that I happened into Ground Zero Advertising in 2000. And at the time, it was really the creative hotbed of LA. And so between five years there and six years at 72 and Sunny and two years at Crispin, I got to do what I love, which is strategy and growth and um, fulfilling potential in these like super yummy, juicy creative environments where people were committed to the craft and totally dedicated to the craft. And I had no idea until um, the last five years that, that the opportunities I had in those specific agencies were super unique. And that it's not the case everywhere that like people are committed to optimism and art and um, like creativity beyond what we can even imagine. But um, I started, funnily enough, as an assistant media planner 
I was very good at math. And so I was in spreadsheets and then I was a media planner at Ground Zero and I would be in meetings with like clients and then <laughs> remember the days when we still like had alcohol at lunch and then happy hour and it was just like an all around the clock party. I would approach the partners at happy hour and tell them, I think I have an idea about how we can get more money from the LA Times. So like revenue and growth and like increasing client relationships was always something that I intuitively knew how to do. And that's when they were like, what is she doing in media? Get her out of media. Let's put her like an account and brand management and have her run our pitches and figure out how to grow. Um, and I did the same thing at 72 and sunny at a time as we were talking about where like I started in 2006, there were, I was the 29th employee. We were in a tiny house in El Segundo and like was there through the MDC purchase and expansion globally. And like, I mean, that was a ride. Which is such a success story. And I was uh, the 30th employee, I think of Crispin Porter and Bogusky, but right at the very time it was becoming Bogusky. But, um, and then got to meet you when I was also working with MDC. You were there for a long time. My whole career. Wow. Until I started, you know, and then I I did also MDC at the same time and started my own gig. And as an entrepreneur yourself, let's talk a little bit about you had a turning point where you realized you needed to make a change in what you were doing and do something for yourself. Can you can you talk about that a little, please? For sure. Um, so after after I left Crispin, um, so. You know, some, it was such a success story um, being the head of business development at 72 and Sunny during that insane growth trajectory. And so a lot of people wanted me to come on board and help them figure out new revenue models. And I ended up working in a lot of companies that were not creative agencies. They were like advertising adjacent. So I worked at Sony Music and I worked at Wasserman. And I'd go in for like a year to a year and a half and basically build new PLs and help them come up with strategic ways to um, get money from brands because everything was changing like it was like the wild west and people all sorts of different people could get money from brands it was no longer let's just go to agencies so this is happening and i'm doing this like really high level sometimes off, <laughs> often change management type consulting and meanwhile um, you know, a little over five years ago, my ex-husband um, died suddenly of an opioid overdose. And um, a f- I had a family member who was gravely ill at that same time. He, the family member, recovered and is fabulous. But obviously, my ex-husband didn't make it. So that was going on while I was doing these really like... <laughs> high stress, like high profile gigs. And like my heart, I just, I felt like my life, like who I am and who, like what my, like the, the, the depth of my heart and soul was, was going in one direction and my career was going in another. And there was like this gap that was starting to occur. Then the pandemic happens, which obviously has been life-changing for all of us. I decided to take up gardening during the pandemic as a hobby. And I laughed. Thank, thank God I can laugh. 
um, took a tumble down a hill um, and ended up contracting a very rare soil-borne bacterial infection that it took a year to diagnose. And this is my changing point. Like, this is my moment of reconciliation with myself because it was very difficult to get doctors to pay attention. They were distracted with COVID. No one knew what was wrong with me. I had lesions all over my body. I gained 30 pounds. My hair was falling out. Like my ego was essentially obliterated because all of the things that I attached myself to in order to feel good about myself, <laughs> gone. So I'd go, I had to keep seeing doctors and basically uh, as, I, as I was getting sicker and sicker, drag myself to more and more doctor's appointments where people were just telling me, we don't know what's wrong with you. A year later, I ended up um, in like, Pasadena at, at Keck USC, actually, um, and, and found a doctor who knew what was wrong with me and was able to treat the condition. But like everything I knew to be true before I got sick, really before my ex-husband died, everything I knew to be true between like him passing and then me being so ill and watching my body deteriorate, like I, I can't, you, you can't go through that and then say, and, and not be incredibly aware of the impermanence of life mm -hmm. and the frailty of our physical form. And so, you know, I definitely, in May, I was about to turn 35, I, I turned 45 in June. So in May of this year, after I had had some time to recover, I just realized that like, my life looked nothing like I wanted it to look. It may have, you know, I have a lot of things that I've accumulated and a lot of success on my resume, but my heart was not in it anymore. And, you know, I've always been an artist. I was a dancer. I loved to write. And my ex-husband knew I was a writer. And like, I just felt like the way that I can honor myself and honor him and honor this life. Like I, I'm still here, you know, I'm still here and he is not. And um, the way I can really honor this life is to be honest with myself about what I love and what I love is art. I love art. I love writing. I love working with artists. I love the power of creative expression. And so I said, you know what? Like I know how to run a PNL. I know how to get new clients. I know how to market a business. Instead of doing that for someone else's vision, it's time to do it for my own. And so the idealist slab was born. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> if, if you if anyone knows me at all, they know that if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to like go all in and double down on like beliefs and values and um, what matters to me. Tell us about the idealist lab. So in this decision, really to spend my days doing what matters to me. Um, I really like explored like, what is it about this career I've had that I love the most? What was true about me before I even started in advertising? Like, what is it that has moved me and kept me going my entire life? Like, what's the through line, right? And it's art, it's expression, it's authentic creative expression and the power that has to move people. 
And so I said, let's start a creative studio for artists that is entirely focused on making art for humanity, which I'll tell you what that means to us. And we'll, we'll structure it like a production company in the sense that we have a roster of artists and we'll work with brands to basically offer them authentic creative expression. So I did a bunch of research when I was figuring out the ins and outs of this and obviously needed to make sure that, is this marketable? Is it sellable? Is anyone going to buy it? And one of the things I learned was that as a result of the pandemic, people are feeling more isolated and more separated from each other than ever before. So it's really ironic because it's like we have Zoom and we have technology and we have all these things that have kept us connected, but we actually feel really alone. And people are asking brands and corporations like to reconnect humanity, to reconnect us with each other and to reconnect us in our own humanity so that it's not so transactional. And art has the power to do that. Like art reminds us of our humanity. It's a shared experience. We get to connect with the artist. And so, you know, the offer to brands is let's set aside the communication mandatories and like, the hard sell and let's make art and let's use the platforms that we have at our, at our disposal to share that art so that humans can connect and celebrate and experience something of more depth. I mean, I think that like 20 years ago in our industry, this is what we were doing. Um, but we're not doing it all the time anymore. So the reason that I heard invited you to be a guest is because I heard about your new company with a really beautiful email that you sent out. It was so well-written and you asked people if they could support your firm in such a nice way. I'm wondering if you could tell us about it, please. And also, did it work? Yeah. I mean, in the continuous obliteration of my ego and um, starting a new business, it's like, we have a premise, I have a proposition, I have artists, now what? Like, and having done business development for most of my career, something just didn't feel right to me about like the traditional sales method to establish our first client relationships. And so, you know, I meditate a lot for inspiration because no one's telling me what to do. Um, and it just occurred to me, like, why don't you just ask for help? Like, why don't you just reach out to some women? And it was interesting because I selected at first five women, you being one of them, some of whom I haven't spoken to in years, others who, like, I don't even know that well, but who I felt like would receive the ask for help and the, the earnestness with which I was asking, like, in a really powerful way. And, you know, so I just said, like, hey, look, I got, I have a feeling, and I kind of saw it, that the, the old boys club would call in favors when they were starting their businesses and just say, hey, can you give me a project? And I'll like throw you something in the back end. And as women, like for me at least, I feel like if I ask for help, I'm cheating. And so I just was like, where did that notion come from? And 
let's abandon it. Let's just, let's just practice. Let's just for a moment, like send an email to some people and see and ask for help in an authentic way and see if that works, you know, like see, see, maybe it's not cheating. <laughs> um, and I have to say it did like the, um, the honesty and the earnestness. And I think the sincerity and the ask for us to help each other, you know, it's, it's a way to not propagate the current statistics, female owned creative businesses. I mean, I don't even, it's like 6% or something lower. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm here because of it talking with you today. And we have two clients that we're in procurement process around because of that email. That's amazing. And I, I just want to say right here. So I talk to different women all the time and this one message comes up, which is ask for help or ask for what you want, but mm. don't keep those things inside. They're not exactly the same, but I think it is the same in the sense of verbalize to people what it is you're looking for, what it is you want, what you want to do. And if you do it in an authentic way, and I almost feel bad using that word authentic now because it's so overused, but really and truly, if you do it in a genuine way, you get results, I think, from the people that are all, that you, you know, that people that look for connections. So I want to ask you another question though, because for myself, it's the same in terms of I love working with women. My, you know, my employees are women. I, on perspectives, I interview women. People tell me all the time, you should really branch out. It's not very modern, but I love talking to women. So why was it important to you to work with women? So I have one friend who is, she is a dancer, turned choreographer, turned director. She's incredibly talented and hasn't been given the shot because you know directors rosters are largely men and in building this group of artists and bringing them together it's incredibly important for to me for it to be at least 50 percent women on the roster um and it's because i mean i really thought about this last night like um who decided that women are less creative? Like, why do the statistics reflect that? And so, you know, for me, it's it was less about like, I want to build a business of all women and more, it's going to be equal. Like, I'm going to give women a platform that they hadn't had in a different proportion. I love it. So how has it been so far? I mean, I know it's early days, but are you realizing there's some things you might have wanted to start with differently? Or what are you thinking a little bit in? I think the most interesting to me observation about starting my own business is that I didn't know this. I probably should have. But um, in the past, my motivation was largely performance-based. I worked hard to make my bosses happy. And, you know, it's, like almost so textbook, it's boring. Like ballet dancer, valedictorian who wants to please dad to get the love I perceived I didn't re I didn't receive as a kid, right? Like it's just like so textbook. But I didn't realize the extent of it until like I have no one to please <laughs> but myself. And so this is actually like this is what I'm in right now, which is waking up every day and asking myself, 
why am I doing this today? Like, why is it important to me? What is important to me? And it changes by the day. But at the beginning, it was it was super creepy to feel like if I'm not performing for someone, I, there's, I don't need to do anything. So I want to take that in another direction because you talked yeah. about how the pandemic was isolating. And I mean, it was so crazy in so many ways. And so much of the conversation was focused on how difficult it was for working mothers and they had, you know, schooling their kids and never being apart from them. And that all is very, was very, very true. On the other hand, I think it was also very difficult for single people, especially during the early times when you really were isolated. And it's true, you have Zoom and stuff like that. And I don't know if, you know, you had a pod of people, but how was that time for you? And Obviously, it led to new realizations for sure with your work life, but it did it also lead to different realizations of how you live? Yeah. I mean, Katie, I think I said to my parents just a couple of weeks ago, like, it's been the hardest two and a half years of my life um, to be isolated for such a long period of time, first from the pandemic and then because I was so ill. And to live alone and to not have the human connection that I had taken for granted from friends and office and being able to travel. Like there were many days where without like the demand of children or someone in my house, it's like, what, what am I getting up for? It was, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I really wouldn't. Like it was really, really difficult. And um had I not been isolated from work, like working in a community and like my friends and their children, I would not have realized that I need to build my own life. Like I have overgiven. I've overgiven to careers. I've overgiven to my friends. I overgive to everyone around me. And then when push came to shove and everyone was locked into their own little microcosms mine was just me and so like yes i have changed for the better in the sense that like i'm completely committed to building a life from the inside out and taking care of myself and making sure that like i do have partnership and another marriage and what i want in my life and i think it could i could have gone probably 10 more years without realizing that i needed that for so many people, it was such a reset, you know, people that were in relationships or were married and all of a sudden were like, wow, I am with the wrong person. I was so lucky. I mean, you, you know, this is my second marriage for yeah. a long time now, but I was so lucky. I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, when we were wiping down food when it came into the house, because you thought that, you know, it was what you do. I thought, oh, I'm with, a, I'm with a good person here. But also it was a time where you're like, wow, you know, th this really is my world. Is this how I want it to look? So for people who are lucky enough to be able to, to have that time to think about that. So let me ask you a question. If you if people want to follow the Idealist Lab and see your projects and see the artists that you're working with, which we need a part two because we didn't even really get a chance to talk about that. What's the best way to follow your company and you? So we are on Instagram. It is at Make Art for Humanity. And um, 
And our website is theidealistlab.com, which we are constantly um, adding new artist work and new artist portfolios. So those are the two best ways at this time. Okay. And one last question. Is there one piece of advice, and we've talked about so much, but one piece of advice that has helped guide you through your life and your career that you could share with us? Yes. This, you know, what's funny is I thought about this in terms of bosses, supervisors, and I couldn't think of anything. However, I had a boyfriend in my early 30s who is a pretty successful showrunner. And I would come home at night and be working on my computer and talk about the creatives, the creatives, the creatives. And he looked at me one day and he said, who are these creative people? You are creative. Don't put yourself in a box. And it's been a slow process. But I would say that the Idealist Lab is the manifestation of me deciding, like, I don't need to go into a box. Like, I am creative and I'm good at business and I'm good at math. And like, how do we integrate all those things for the good of everyone, right? So I I will never forget that moment. That is great advice. And I cannot wait to see everything that happens with your company because I just know knowing you, it's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Katie. It's been a blast.